The Flash has a mystery to solve. Batman gets a modern-day manga interpretation. And spends some quality time with Wonder Woman. And Carol Danvers fights Civil War. All this and more straight ahead. Welcome to the Classy Comics Podcast, where we search for the best comics in the universe. From Boise, Idaho, here is your host, Adam Graham. Well, we start out with The Flash, Volume 6, Cold Day in Hell. And there are three stories in here. Uh, the first, in issues 34 and 35, is Black Hole Rising. And this picks up uh, on the cliffhanger at the end of Volume 5 when Mina comes back to Barry and also to young Wally. And uh, Mina had appeared in Volume 1 and she warns the Flash of the danger of the negative speed force. And she points out that while Ebard Thawne had been able to survive and to use the negative speed force, the big difference was that Thawne wasn't trying to use both the negative and positive speed force at the time. And she offers to help Barry, but, and I'll get into a spoiler here, instead she actually steals the negative uh, speed force from Barry for herself. And you get the feeling that you're getting kind of a supervillain uh, origin story as she got a bit twisted uh, when Godspeed tried to kill her. And there was a sense of betrayal. It's not a particular surprise uh, because it uh, this idea of Mina being alive and also in some ways being evil was tipped back in Volume 3. But I do like that we get rid of the negative speed force thing from Barry, which I, I didn't particularly care much for in the previous volume. But you also saw relations between Barry and young Wally West uh, continue to get better in this story. And I, I do think the art overall in the book definitely approved, improved from Volume 5. Uh, then we get uh, the Cold Day in Hell storyline. And I mentioned in the previous volume that uh, Barry had been reassigned from being a CSI to working in crime pres scene preservation at the prison, which is really a major step down and something that feel more like busy work than anything else, primarily because it is. But Dr. Singh, uh, the head of CSI, did have a reason, and it, it does begin to become clearer as the book goes on, for sending Barry and his partner there. Beyond disciplining uh, Barry for being a bit of a prima donna under the influence of the negative speed force. One of the rogues, a World War II Tuskegee Airman, who yeah, just got caught up in the speed force is murdered, and uh, Barry sets out to find out who d uh, did it against uh, the backdrop of the Warden of Iron Heights trying to cover things up, and, of course, Singh, 
just saying, hey, your job is just to preserve the crime scene, and we'll investigate this ourselves. And in the course of the story, it's revealed that the rogues are taking over organized crime in Central City from behind bars, and have just found ways to uh, be able to uh, manipulate uh, situations, uh, even uh, from inside Iron Heights. And it's up to Barry to stop them. Uh, and he's got to make a decision on whether he's going to trust August, an ex-cop uh, who uh, appeared in Volume 1 as one of a lot of people who got uh, Speed Force powers. He actually became uh, the supervillain Godspeed. And Barry has to decide whether to trust him in this investigation or not. And it's an interesting uh, character arc, and I... Uh, and whether when somebody has crossed over the line, if there can be any sort of redemption. And I really like the way that this story played out. Uh, then we get the annual, which is actually much more a Wally West story. It's called The Secret Life of Wally West. And you have uh, Barry as well as the two Wally West meeting up. And... Uh, uh, young Wally uh, reveals that Iris had to, Iris West had to kill uh, uh, Reversed Flash way back in Volume 4. And this gets Wally really upset because uh, Iris was very important to him back in the post-crisis DC Universe. However, like uh, so much of his old life, Iris didn't remember him, and so, you know, really, it would be awkward to try and insert himself into her life, and he was really trusting Barry to take care of Iris, and so this just really gets him upset, but it keys up a lot of emotions about uh, Wally's unresolved status and how so hardly anybody uh, remembered him. And so he goes out and he runs into someone who was an old flame and he reveals himself to her. However, she actually remembers being a supervillain and his coming up to her reminds her and brings out her evil powers and he's got to uh, fight her. This is a, a good story because it, it does focus on Wally. It, it serves as a, a backdrop or a prelude to the Flash War storyline, and it does just serve as just a really nice character piece. I'm a huge fan of the Flash, and this is probably the first volume that I found myself really, really enjoying since uh, probably Volume 3. I like all the stories, though I thought the first one was probably the weakest just because uh, we had learned the big reveal previously. Still, I'll give uh, Flash Volume 6, Cold Day in Hell, a rating of Classy. All right. Next up is Batman and the Justice League Volume 1 by Shiori Teshiorgi. Uh, and this is actually a uh, manga 
Originally written for the Japanese uh, audience and translated into English. The story opens with a young boy traveling to Gotham City to look for his parents who he hasn't heard from in a while. And apparently uh, they end up perishing in a factory accident. Though whether this uh, is the final uh, story, we don't know. Um, but before he can enter Gotham City, he encounters evil cops under mind control on the bridge, and they try to rob them, but Batman saves the day. Um, and he continue, and the boy continues on to the city while Batman goes off to confront the Joker. And this is all part of Lex Luthor's uh, evil plan with the Joker, though we don't find out what that is. Um, in terms of the story, I think its greatest strength uh, is a lot of the uh, art of different concepts and structures. Uh, there are some really pretty, uh, very well-drawn art in this. Uh, probably the weakness is the plot. This book is nearly 200 pages long, and the plot just barely gets started. Um, and I think part of the problem with this story is that the author, in writing this as Batman in the Justice League, the author, I think, is bit off a bit more than she can chew. Because uh, she's setting up this sort of massive uh, storyline. And uh, she has to not only introduce Batman and the people in Batman's world, she also has to introduce the Joker and Lex Luthor and do a general uh, introduction of the Justice League. Uh, the story introduces Superman, though he doesn't really interact with the story much. It's like Superman's like, yeah, I've got to fly off to Gotham because Batman needs me. And so he flies off, but he doesn't really get there in the course of this book. The character designs are a bit weird. And I think some of it may just be the style of uh, manga. I'm not a huge manga reader, but this seems pretty consistent with that. But it does lead into, you know, everybody having, uh, or all the male characters, having this sort of odd uh, manga-styled uh, hair. And the conception of Superman seems to be based on the New 52 version of Superman, which was not nearly as muscular. And her designs really just kind of accentuate that. And I didn't care much for the New 52 design for Superman. It's a little too thin uh, for my taste. So, yeah, I, I think that there were some aspects that worked, but the pacing's a huge issue with this one. As she tries to introduce and roll off this massive plot arc, but doesn't really make a whole lot of progress in the 200 pages in this book. So, overall, this isn't horrible, but I'm going to give it a rating of not classy. Next, we move on to Batman, Volume 6, Bride or Burglar. And we get a lot of stories in here. Uh, the first one is the single-shot story, The Origin of Bruce Wayne. And an orphan boy whose parents were killed decides to be like Bruce Wayne. And uh, there are a series of crimes uh, surrounding... Uh, surrounding the killer of his uh, 
uh, parents and people who were responsible for that. And, you know, Batman's investigating the crime, and at first uh, he blames the crime on different uh, minor supervillains, I think mostly invented by Tom King in the first place. And then he gets to a realization, which is a bit of a, a, of a spoiler, he realizes that this kid uh, actually is the one who... Uh, 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 did it uh, with this insp- uh, with this goal of being like Bruce Wayne, and the kid is told you're not Bruce Wayne. You're a sick kid with dead parents, uh, and the kid says, "Well, yes, but what else is Bruce Wayne?" To me, the story's a bit pretentious, and uh, I think there could be a legitimate question in the course of that. Because some people react to tragedy in very different ways. And the reaction of uh, Bruce Wayne to become Batman is very, you know, obviously atypical. And there's something very different and unique about that. And others react to tragedy. You know, you you read all the time in the comics about people uh, becoming, you know, supervillains. And, you know, there are people in life who... Uh, their reaction to tragedy is to crawl inside a bottle. And, you know, what makes Bruce Wayne different? And I think you could look at that from almost uh, an inspirational standpoint. But the way that this book took it, it just does not work for me. Then we get to Super Friends Wonder Woman. And in this one, we meet a hero known as the Gentleman. And the gentleman has been fighting demonic hordes to keep them away from uh, our Earth for hundreds of years. And the Justice League encountered uh, him on a mission. And Batman and Wonder Woman offered to spot him for a while uh, while he uh, goes out and takes a bit of a break. And, you know, I think they envision this being a few days sort of thing. They trade places, but there's a key fact that the gentleman does not uh, reveal. And that is that if you spend uh, hours on Earth, you end up spending, the people who are replacing you end up spending years in this other dimension, fighting this ever-constant uh, horde of demons. Uh, the, the the saying it's that the gentleman has, and it's said several times throughout the book, is that the horde is everlasting. But the gentleman doesn't reveal this because he figures Batman and Wonder Woman wouldn't agree to it. The upside is that you do not actually age in this uh, realm, but the bad news is that time passes. Catwoman uh, wants to send the gentleman back uh, immediately after he reveals what's going on with Batman and Wonder Woman. But he insists on seeing his wife before he returns. At the same time, years are passing in this other dimension with no sign of the gentleman. And... Diana and Bruce are wondering if this guy is ever going to show up and begin to realize that it could just be the two of them together for all eternity. They do kiss briefly, 
but both decide essentially to be loyal overall to their love interest, and they end up uh, leaving after more than two decades there, with Wonder Woman uh, uh, volunteering them for another relief uh, shift. However, Catwoman advises that next time they do this, she's going with, and Wonder Woman says, well, maybe then the Horde won't be so everlasting. Which is a funny line, but a little silly, because if Batman and Wonder Woman could just hold uh, the Horde in check for 20 years, uh, Catwoman's really not going to make a difference. Overall, I I like the idea of the gentleman. It's an interesting concept that other people in the DC Universe would do well to consider how they might play with it. The story itself, like most stuff in this volume, is just kind of okay. I think it highlights an approach or a view of Wonder Woman as she relates to Superman and Batman. Superman and Batman are such a classic match, and uh, there's so much that can be said about their friendship and the relationship between those two characters. Wonder Woman has been around nearly as long, and the three together were the only superheroes to be continuously published throughout the 1950s when superhero comics were in decline. And there's a thought that since they've been published for about the same length of time, that uh, Wonder Woman should have the same sort of relationship with Batman and Superman as they have with each other. The problem is that that's just really not historically been the case. There's not that great history of all of those team-ups. In addition, I think the Batman-Superman relationship is driven not just by the fact that they're probably the two biggest names in superheroes, but that the fact that their stories have both similarities and really big uh, contrasts with both losing uh, their natural parents um, and how they respond to that and the differences of what came next really makes for some good natural contrast. With Wonder Woman, her origin story or stories are so different and her upbringing so incredibly different that it really is uh, not as much common ground. That's not to say you can't do a story about the relationship between the two characters, but it's not going to be as natural or uh, as easy as writing about Batman and Superman. Next up, we have Everybody Loves Ivy. And in this story, uh, Ivy is able to uh, go ahead and uh, take control of everyone in the on the planet Earth in the DC Universe, including uh, Green Lanterns, except for... Uh, Catwoman and Batman, because uh, Batman got a whiff of what was going on and developed a last-minute uh, antidote that uh, protected them, but it cannot cure people who have already fallen under her spell. 
to be honest, this story is kind of silly. I think the idea of a character being able to take over the entire world that way, and the way they end up defeating her is just anticlimactic and doesn't really fit with uh, Batman. Plus, they reach the conclusion in this book that Ivy is not a villain. Hey, despite 50 years of comics. Uh, yeah, this one, it just really doesn't work uh, much at all. There, there are probably a few cute moments, but I think it way overpowers Ivy. And, you know, I think the fact that you actually take over the world kind of does indicate that you are a villain. Next up, we have the titular Bride or Burglar story, which is actually only one issue long, um, which is kind of surprising given that's the titular story. Uh, but essentially, uh, what happens is there's a bunch of uh, flashbacks for uh, Catwoman, and uh, it's really a, a character-focused piece. I don't think it's bad, but it doesn't really particularly uh, impress me. The plot overall is that she breaks in uh, to a place to try on uh, wedding dresses uh, to pick out what she's going to want to buy. Uh, and apparently debating, you know, what does she want to be? What does she want her future to be? Overall, this book felt like it was marking time until uh, the wedding. The wedding was in issue 50 of uh, Batman, and this one collects issues 38 through 44. Um, and you can't have anything big happen without it happening in an uh, issue with a big round number. It apparently is writer Tom King's thinking. And so instead of putting, you know, like a really solid story arc in here, you get some, you know, issues that are really just running in place and it feels like marking time until the uh, wedding issue. And you, you also have in this book a lot of revisits uh, and and retakes of things that Tom King has done previously in its run. For example, in the origin of Bruce Wayne, you get the split panel storytelling where the panel on the left and the panel on the right are telling different stories uh, and from different vantage points and consistently going back and forth like you had in the original uh, Super Friends story uh, back in the previous volume. And, of course, the Super Friends Wonder Woman story was a, a uh, attempt to uh, follow up and, and to repeat what had been done in the original Super Friends story. The Ivy piece was just kind of uh, weird, and but it actually uh, went back to the War of Jokes and Riddles. And with all of the uh, flashbacks to Selena and Bruce's past in Brighter Burglar, uh, that really kind of plays back to the same sort of vibe and feel of uh, the Batman annual. So overall, I'm going to give this one a rating of not classy. Next up, we have uh, Silver War Miss Marvel. And uh, there is, uh, in this book, first of all, uh, now I should say the Civil War event, uh, for those who don't know, 
uh, in the Marvel Comics universe, as opposed to the cinematic universe, uh, was a situation where uh, there was a law passed called the Superhuman uh, uh, Registration Act, which required essentially all costume heroes to register with the government and receive training, as well as revealing their secret identities. Uh, the pro-registration side was led by uh, Tony Stark, and the anti-registration side was led by Captain America, Steve Rogers, who felt that this really had gone too far. So many refused to be registered, and so they had to be tracked down and arrested uh, by those superheroes who had registered. Uh, and Miss Marvel is on the uh, pro-registration side. Uh, the back co uh, cover copy tries to create some confusion about this. Uh, and and it says on there, Miss Marvel combats former allies Shroud and Arachne in an attempt to enforce a law she may not agree with. Well, you might want to create speculation about that, but uh, actually in the previous volume, when the uh, superheroes reality show came over to her house to interview her, uh, she expressed support for it. So she's doing all this in service of a law which she fully supports. Uh, at any rate, uh, they there's a team created to deal with unregistered, unlicensed heroes, uh, and she's on it with Arachne and with uh, Wonder Man, who is another longtime uh, Marvel Universe character, originally introduced as a villain for the Avengers, but uh, turned hero. Wonder Man was originally conceived as having a superhuman strength, speed, stamina, durability, agility, and reflexes, uh, plus... Uh, uh, using ionic energy uh, in order to fight. And you'd really think that based on this, he would be a much bigger player in the Marvel Universe than he has been. Just like you would with Miss Marvel and her power set. But it hasn't worked out that way. But he does end up teamed up with her. Uh, and at the start, before they actually team up, she captures Hobie Brown, the Prowler, which kind of shows the class of uh, superhero that she's dealing with catching. Uh, she and uh, Wonder Man go and they confront uh, Aronia, who is a teenage uh, superhero who actually just thought that she didn't have to register under the Superhuman uh, uh, Registration Act uh, because she is a minor, but there is no age limit. However, Miss Marvel and Wonder Woman end up confronting her and her dad and scaring her into going ahead and registering because she really does want to keep up using her superpowers to help people. And I have to say that uh, Aranya is just kind of a minor character in this, but I did really like her, and she had a few of her own books. And this left me kind of curious, because she seems like just a really nice kid. So she's set to train with uh, Miss Marvel and with uh, Wonder Man. 
But the other member of the team, Arachne, a.k.a. Julie Carpenter, who was also known as Spider-Woman. And if you were a fan of the 1990s uh, Iron Man TV show, she was uh, Tony Stark's love interest in that series. Currently, she's uh, with Shroud, a superhero who is unlicensed, who they are supposed to track down. However, she tries to warn them. In fact, her entire reason for uh, claiming to be pro-registration and joining is to uh, really impact things from the inside and to protect uh, those who don't want to register. However, to protect Shroud, uh, she actually ends up turning on her teammates. And Shroud is captured anyway, and she uh, escapes with the intent of getting to her daughter. Miss Marvel interrogates Shroud, who, like many of the uh, anti-registration heroes in the, uh, the Civil War era, when they're confronted, makes this case that there is a greater moral uh, sense in law than the particular uh, law that's passed in the Superhero Registration Act and what's going on here uh, with heroes fighting each other and with the rounding up of unlicensed heroes and putting everybody under the thumb of the government is wrong. But Miss Marvel's morality is a bit more just, uh, it's the law. And even though it's established that she's a friend of Julie Carpenter, she just uh, really has turned on her. And she has some point because uh, Julie uh, didn't just, you know, break the law, but people got hurt, injured in the battle with uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. But she seems a bit too over-eager when uh, she said she disgraced the name of the Avengers and put innocent lives in dangers. Uh, and regarding catching her, she says, it is my duty as a hero. It is my pleasure as an Avenger. And uh, so he, she doesn't get any information from Shroud, but heads out to the house where Julie's daughter is staying in Denver and waits for her to show up, which she does. And she fights uh, Julie and ultimately ends up prevailing taking Julie into custody and separating her from her daughter. And at the side of this, Aranya is is upset and is like, if this is what it means to be a hero, a superhero, I don't really want to be part of it. And it's only after the fact that uh, Julie's caught that uh, Carol Danvers has some sense of regret about it. Overall, the three issues that tie into Civil War are, they are problematic. I don't think that Carol is acting particularly heroic, but that seems to be a thing with the Civil War heroes. And she doesn't really, uh, she really takes kind of a backseat to Julie Carpenter in a couple of these issues. I also thought that the capture of Julie was a bit too easy, and I, I'm kind of amazed that she just went up to the house her daughter was staying at, particularly immediately. I mean, I think it would have made more sense for her to lie low or to have some sort of plan, but just immediately confront going into the house and expecting she was going to get out with her daughter, 
It makes Julie seem like not too bright, and defeating her seem like not that big of an accomplishment. Next up, we have the two-part story, Doppelganger and uh, My Own Worst and Your Own Worst Enemy. And essentially, uh, at the end of the Civil War story, Rogue comes up to let uh, Carol know that there's a problem. And that is that there's another version of Carol Danvers on Earth. And this ca uh, character is Warbird, her previous identity. And uh, she is here to kill Rogue. Now, if you'll recall in our Essential Miss Marvel review, Rogue actually stole uh, Carol's powers and memories back when she was a supervillain. This version of Carol comes from a universe where she never sobered up and she never took responsibility for her own life. And as a result, she didn't do what this Carol did and fly to Georgia to save that uh, town and to stop the crew. And the crew destroyed the Earth, and she has been traveling from Earth to Earth. And Rogue tries to help Miss Marvel, but Miss Marvel tells Rogue that this is all her fault, that uh, the Earth is endangered from this other uh, Carol Danvers from Warbird because of Rogue, because uh, this Warbird was didn't pretend to forgive Rogue like Miss Marvel had. And Miss Marvel actually knocks Rogue uh, unconscious. However, when she learns that Warbird has been flying from world to world, killing rogues on every world, that's too much. And she ends up fighting uh, Warbird and triumphing. But at the end of the story, uh, Rogue is still unconscious. And Hank McCoy, a.k.a. Beast, is taking care of her and tells her a couple of times that it is would not be a good idea for her to be around when Rogue wakes up. And I should say the design on Beast in this book is a bit weird because he's uh, all, you know, got these feline uh, features, you know, very distinctly feline features. I don't know if that was a thing that was going on in Marvel, but that kind of struck me as a bit weird. At any rate, after that, Carol actually does uh, fly up into the atmosphere, thinking about going back into space and traveling in space as a way to get away from the seeming failures and problems of what's going on with her time on Earth. But instead of running away as she did previously, she decides to return to Earth, which I think is a very important moment in this book. Then we get a Miss Marvel special, I guess the equivalent of the annual, uh, which is a story called Binary. And there's a boy with powers uh, who's reading a novel that Carol wrote based on her time as binary traveling in space. Um, and there's a couple of these kids, you know, on the back shelf. And one of them has the story, is the storyteller. And he's got these powers that what he reads and what he allowed and what he says becomes reality. And it's really cool. There's some nice art. And it's, it's actually, it's a one-shot story, but it's the most fun story in the book. 
so overall, uh, this book leaves me with some mixed feelings. Uh, because on one hand, I don't like my heroes to be unheroic. And it's hard to argue in this book that Carol Danvers was particularly heroic throughout much of it. You know, I think her her overzealousness during Civil War, coupled with attacking Rogue in the second story, were not her best moments. But I think that the book actually does do some good character work. In the first volume, we establish that Carol wants to be the best of the best. She wants to become more than she has been. But you can't do that without dealing with who you've been, without dealing with your demons. And I think that this book makes a start of that. It shows the obstacles that she faces to being the best version of herself. And right at the top of the list is this penchant for anger. Anger to be out of control and to ultimately win the day. And the second story, I think that was particularly effective with the uh, confrontation with Warbird. And it's one of those things that science fiction can really do in terms of character work a lot more effectively than other genres. Uh, Because you can actually meet another version of yourself. And she gets to confront the person that she's been. And it's, uh, it's a very interesting thing. And she is really hard on who this person was because she made the, she never made that decision to grow up, to get out from under the bottle, to get help. As Carol ultimately did when Tony Stark, uh, sponsored her for Alcoholics Anonymous. So uh, while this book exposes some anti-heroic uh, tendencies in Carol, it doesn't revel in them or try to excuse them. It shows us them uh, so that uh, we can understand the journey that she's on. And so I think that's a big difference. The stories didn't, uh, I think particularly the Civil War story didn't impress me, but it did feed into the character arc. And I have to give Brian Reed, the author, credit for that. That he managed to keep his character arc going even with the demands of Civil War. So I'll give this book a rating of somewhat classy. And to repeat our other ratings, we gave The Flash Volume 6 Cold Day in Hell a rating of classy. It's a great return to form. Really enjoyed it. Then we gave Batman and the Justice League Volume 1 a rating of not classy. Well, it's got some nice art. It doesn't really go anywhere. And then we gave Batman uh, Volume 6, Bride or Burglar, a rating of not classy. It's not a bad book, but it really does feel like a bunch of filler issues that are repeating stuff we had before. And of course, we gave uh, Civil War Miss Marvel a rating of somewhat classy. Brian Reed does a good job forwarding the Carol's character arc, even as his book is being hijacked by another event. All right. Well, that's all for now. If you do have a comment, email to me, ClassyComicsGuy at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at ClassyComicsGuy. And check out the website, ClassyComicsGuy.com. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.